Eye of the Panther, Season 1, Episode 3, Adoption, in the point of view of Hunga Panna Jr. I killed a man. I was unable to move as I stared at the swamp form resting against a tree he smacked his head against, hard against. Oh, Ward, my king, what have I done? This man just saved my wife. He, he didn't know about the amulet. I, I tried to warn him, but he didn't get the message as I spoke around the gag that's still in my mouth. But my king, he does not deserve to die. At least not from a non-heroic act as smacking oneself against a tree. It did strike me a rather odd that he didn't unbind me, and that he seemed to want the amulet for some reason. Billy from the orphanage was quite queer that it was the womenfolk who wore such stains as jewelry. I was lucky that I was a child, a mere boy. Though, even still, this amulet was given to me. It was given to me for a very special reason indeed. I tightly closed my eyes. But why? Why should this man touch it just to be killed? The forest was quite dark, with no light from the nearby village. The trees seemed to reach out to me like monsters of sharp fingers. The large red leaves looked almost black, as even the silver moon hid behind a dark cloud. A loud snarl pierced the stillness of the night, and I gasped, jerking my head to the direction, my long pointy fox-like ears twitching at the sound. I struggled against my restraints, the chair causing my back to ache and the ropes cutting into my arms and legs. The man was kind enough to write in the chair before he decided to smack himself, which I was grateful for. I was even more grateful that I could almost reach the pocket knife attached to my belt. My eyes caught movement and I held myself perfectly still, sure that it was a creature that made the snarl. The creature flew at me with an open claw and I jumped and I tried to shield my face with my hands and I couldn't move them because of the restraints. The creature landed on my lap and I realized that the small dame was only a thunderbird, a nighttime bird of silky black feathers and a red stripe on its sides and blue feathers standing out like a crown on its head. This one must have been young though as it was only about the size of an eagle. Myself breathe in a sire weave and relax my ears and muscles. For it is said that these birds are known to give good luck. It is help sent by the king himself. I clicked my tongue against the roof of my mouth and whistled a happy, gentle tune to it, even through the gag. The bird held still on my knee, as if listening to every sound I made, its small face rising on my high notes and lowering of my low notes. When I finally finished the last note, the bird waited as if expected more, the silence lasting for several moments. Then it repeated the song, starting with my clicks, then to the whistles, trilling the notes in a more fluid song than I could create by myself. The bird making movements of its tiny head as it sang. I followed the bird with my eyes and listened to its beautiful voice. 
When it was finally done, I flapped its mighty wings and pushed my pocket knife closer to my fingers until I grasped tightly onto it. The bird then flew, seemingly to disappear in a flash of lightning. I watched it go before slicing through the ropes. Thank you, my king. You sure are the one and only. The rope slid off of me and I quickly stood, falling to my face as my legs were still tied to the chair. The fall made me remember something I learned long ago, and it's never good to be in a hurry. I cut the ropes off my legs and undid the disgusting gag my previous captors put in my mouth. I sat up and drew my knees to my chest. The forest seemed to have come alive with creatures unseen, snarls and growls and the rustling of leaves. My eyes darted to and fro, trying to find these beasts. I didn't know where to go. I was alone in the dark with only a corpse to keep me company. A loud groan made my eyes dart to the corpse, and the corpse's arm move. I yelped. Oh my king, his ghost has come to haunt me. I heard another groan from the corpse, and I stood to run, to run far away from this place as my short legs wet me, but I froze in my tracks. Perhaps the man didn't hit his head as hard as I first thought. Perhaps he really was alive and was just brought into a slumber by hitting his head. Perhaps he really would die for real if I didn't stay and offer my help to him. I swallowed. My throat suddenly dry. I looked to the trowel behind me to the man still dead against a tree. A loud snarl came from the bushes and I yelped, bringing my pocket knife in front of me before running to the corpse. I slid to my knees next to him, noticing how his body was still warm to my touch. I lightly shook the corpse in my hand. Wake up! Please, sir! I didn't mean to kill you! Please wake up! After each word, I shook a little harder, getting no response from the corpse. I pushed him, and his body slid from his sitting position against a tree and onto the ground. I stared at the corpse, my mouth agape. Would his ghost be angry that I pushed him? I frightenedly looked around. I saw no sign of supernatural activity. It could be possible that the ghost did not see what I just did. I jumped over the body and tried to lift his side back up. It took all my strength, but I finally managed to get the corpse back to the right position. Oh, I have this sweat from my brow. I felt very shaky on my feet. What should I do about him? I couldn't tell much in the lack of light, but the man seemed to have been someone of importance. His uniform was very fine, though slightly shredded in the back, and he had very long boots that went up to his knees and thick weather gloves. Around his face, there seemed to be some kind of cloth. His clothes were very different from mine. I only wore the black mourning village clothes required to show my respect to the soldiers who have lost their lives. Rope belt and thin animal skin stuck to my feet. I knew that I was done for. For this man sure he has someone who would avenge him, and I would be hung for murder. I slid off my feet next to the corpse. I just don't know what to do, I said to no one in particular. When I got up this morning, I didn't want to kill anyone. That should never be on anyone's agenda. It is very unkind. The corpse groaned, and I jumped out of my skin into my feet. Are you alive, my dear man? I knelt next to him and waved my hand over his face, but got no reaction. 
so I started unlining the cloth around his face and dropped it on the ground next to him, put my hands next to his mouth, and felt him release a small breath of air. You are alive! I jumped up and danced around him and hopped up and down. I shall be seen as a hero. They might even give me a reward. I gasped. He might even adopt me as his own son. Then I would have a loving father again. Maybe even a mother. An animal scream pierced the night and I froze, my eyes wide of terror. I curled up near the man's side and held up my knife. Don't worry, sir. I will protect you. I was pushed up against something warm and opened my eyes to a dim light. It took me a moment to realize where I was until I saw the trees above me and the gray, hazy sky. Morning has come and we have lived, young knight. The man made no movement and I glanced at his face and saw that he has yet awoken from his slumber. Sure enough, this man must be a knight. He might not wear the grand armor that I have often dreamed about but I have seen him use swords or blades of some kind, and the uniform he wore was very formal. I stood up, my back a little sore from leaning against the tree. The air made my throat scratchy and hard to breathe. Unfortunately, I didn't have any spare cloth to wrap around my exposed face. My stomach growled wildly at me, reminding me that the caretaker at the orphanage refused to feed me supper last night. I glanced at the man's fine weather pack. Surely he won't mind if I ate some of his food in return for saving his wife. Carefully, I pushed him away from the tree and unfastened the straps keeping the pack on his back. And very carefully, I slid the pack off his shoulders. I clutched the pack to my chest as a wide grin stretched across my face, and I pranced away from the man before sitting down next to him on his left side and opening the pack up. My eyes widened and my mouth salivated at the choices inside. Dried berries and meat, some kind of flatbread, seven bars made of various seeds, nuts, and grains. I started stuffing the berries into my mouth, slightly afraid that this would be my last meal, slightly terrified that the man would wake up and take me away from this feast. I crammed two of the bars in my mouth, even though the bars were small and nearly choked from the dryness of them. They probably were not my favorite item in the pack, but it's much better than having nothing at all. The meat was tough and hard to chew, but had a very pleasant smoky flavor. After all the hard food to eat, my throat became very parched, and I wished for something to drink. I untied the canteen attached to the side of the pack and took a long slick. My tongue suddenly overwhelmed by the taste, and I sputtered the liquid from my mouth, coughing as my throat closed, the smoke in the air creeping my airway closed. I gripped my throat, dropping the canteen to the ground. My ward, save me! That man tried to poison me! The taste lingered in my mouth, a very bitter, metallic taste, horrid, and much like the taste of blood. On my knees, I gagged and heaved at the thought, who would drink such horrid stuff? I managed to catch a gasp of breath, 
and glance at the liquid spilt on the ground. It is definitely tinted red, though it didn't seem as thick as blood. I wrinkled my nose at the foul stuff. I have heard that the Craquin River, the main freshwater source in the southern and eastern regions, was tinted of blood. The battles there have been fought for years and don't be seen to be wetting up anytime soon. Try to shake off of the horrible things that go on over there. There's too much killing. No one needs a Joao on such things, especially someone of my age. I took a look at the man. Our waters were still fresh and crackling. It's a long ways from the western region, and I wondered why a man from either the eastern or the southern regions would make their way up here. Our villages are pretty peaceful. Even though we are technically under the Golden King's rule, we pay taxes to the Black King as well. But neither king, as far as I know, has had any beef of us. A fat raindrop fell onto my nose from the treetops above. I looked up at the darkening sky as the rain started to fall more heavily. Thank you, my lord. Thank you for the fresh water from above. I cupped my hands and gathered the rain in my palms, taking several gulps before releasing the rest. The water was crisp and cool, removing the taste of blood from my mouth as well as some of the smoke in the air. I grabbed the pack off of the ground and swung it over my shoulder. I jumped up and grabbed the trunk of the tree and swung up, landing perfectly onto my feet on the thick branch. Reaching up, I tore off a bright red leaf and folded the corners to make a leaf cup and wedged it in between the thinner branches for it to collect the rain. I bet the man would love any kind of water as not tainted of blood. How he can even live of himself is beyond me. I sat down on the thick branch and reopened the pack again. If there was any way that I could figure out who this man was, then it would be inside the contains of his pack. I took out the flatbread and nibbled on a corner as I pushed aside the rest of the food to see what else he had. My hand pulled out some flint and a few dry sticks that were, unfortunately, getting wet in the rain. I tried to keep them in the pack of the food in hopes of keeping them out of the rain as much as possible. I felt several soft cloths that must be bandages of some kind and a small bottle of some cream. Medicine, perhaps? At the bottom of the pack, my hand felt something cold and metal. I stopped Med Chu and pulled them up. They were pitch black coins of the face of the Black King itched on either side. The man of nightmares himself. I looked down at the man and shuddered. The poor man. He doesn't deserve the work for such a creature. A thought came to mind. What if he needs me more than I need him? I smiled at the thought. He'll be like a father and I like his son. He may not have intended like that, but I've heard of other boys getting kidnapped to be adopted. My caretaker definitely would like the idea of not needing to fill out the necessary paperwork. We could do everything together! Hunting and foraging and even fishing! I glanced at the man once more, excitement pushing through my chest. He might even be married! I might have a little brother or a sister! I knew nothing about soldiers and how they lived when they weren't on the battlefield. Perhaps he lived on a farm and has all kinds of little creatures. 
As I smiled from these happy thoughts, the man below me wildly groaned and started to stir. Here's my moment. Surely I can convince him to keep me, even though many others have rejected me? I quickly combed through my disheveled, silky hair that was now soaking wet from the rain. I suddenly wished I had a mirror to look into. It would do no good not to look my best. I grabbed my folded leaf cup and hopped out of the tree, landing perfectly onto my feet, bending my knees just a little so not to hurt myself. The man tried to get up and then lightly pushed him back down. You might want to stay down. You hit your head really, really hard. His eyes snapped open and he pushed away from me, hitting his head against a tree. I flinched from his harsh touch and my mouth went agape. What if he hurt himself again and he never woke up? The man thankfully did not fall back asleep, but hissed through his teeth and slowly opened his eyes again, blinking against the dim light. I stood nearby, bidding my lower lip and rubbing my right arm while still holding the leaf cup. The man suddenly went to his empty sheaves, and I jumped back as though I thought he planned to strike me down, even as I knew he no longer had his blades. The man's eyes widened with fear, and his hands moved frankly everywhere, as if thinking his blades would be somewhere nearby. His hands froze, and he looked back at me, though he seemed not to be able to focus on me. What do you want from me? He asked, his voice rough and gravelly. Why nothing, father? My voice was a little shaky, and I kept a small distance away from him. You hit your head hard last night, and when I saw you were waking, I thought you might like some water. The man wrinkled his forehead and rubbed the back of his head. Father? I am nobody's father. His hand paused, and his eyes darted to his black scarf that was weighing in a puddle next to him. I tried to gather up a little bravely and took a step towards him. I thought that your brain might be a little hazy as to what happened last night, so I'll tell you what happened to the best of my ability. You walked into the village's orphanage last night and saw that three men were planning on adopting me as their own. But you would have none of that, for when you saw me, you wanted me. And it was a special moment, as no one ever wanted me before. So you fought the free men for me, and after much fighting, you won. And you carried me into the forest when you fell and hit your head. Orphanage? What orphanage? His eyes went back to me and seemed to stare at my amulet resting on my chest. I gave him a wide smile and held out the leaf cup to him. How did you get out of your restraints? He asked me. I tried to hand him the leaf cup again, and he jerked it out of my hands, the water spilling over the edge and onto his pants. My knees felt like liquid, but I kept my smile regardless. Well, father, before you hit your head, you write in the chair that I was tied to just right, so when a bird came, it was able to help me reach my pocket knife, and the rest is history. I'm not your father, kid. The man took a look at the leaf cup. What happened to my canteen? I grabbed the canteen that was lying on the ground before he could reach it. Well, father, it was tinted of blood, see? I tilted the canteen upside down to allow the liquid to pour out. 
I will not allow the man to drink such rancid stuff. Not if he is the one day to become my father. The man's mouth went agape as he watched the liquid get poured out. His brows crunched together, and his mouth became twisted in a heavy frown. You could almost feel the heat radiating off of him. Every ounce of me begged for me to run away from him. Oh, Ward, give me strength. I swallowed and placed the canteen upright so it could collect the rainwater. I thought that we could collect the rainwater and drink instead. That's all that's in the leaf that I gave you, rainwater. Though it will taste a little sweet from sitting in the leaf. You might have found it refreshing, Father? I said the last statement as a question as the man looked angrier and angrier by the moment. I am not your father, and don't touch my stuff, he yelled at me. I fringed, but otherwise held my ground. But you adopted me. I did no such thing, he snapped at me. I kidnapped you. I jumped up and clapped my hands. Perhaps he was getting it after all, and my smile widened. I know! Isn't it exciting? This is how most orphans are adopted. It saves time and no paperwork. That's what the caretaker always told us. And I happened to be picked by you! You adopted me! He seemed to stare at me as though I had lost my mind. I did not adopt you! Why didn't you run off when you had the chance? My bravery wrecked me and hurt filled my very core. My eyes threatened to spill tears and I felt very small in the presence of this man. And I thought that I might really be in a bad situation. He might leave me in these woods, or even worse, take me back to the orphanage where he found me. Run where? I asked in a small voice. I have nowhere to go, and even if I did, you would have been eaten during the night. Please don't make me go back to the orphanage. I won't go back. I just won't. I stopped my foot at the last words. The man ran his hand over his face. Look, I'll make a deal with you. You tell me how to use real amulet and give it to me. In return, I won't take you back to the orphanage. In fact, I'll find someone to adopt you for real, okay? Wait, my amulet? I looked down the eye of the pan for resting on my chest looking even bluer in the gray right, almost as if it was glowing. He really wanted the piece of jewelry that is impossible for anyone else to weld, and even more impossible for me to remove? Whatever in the world would he want this? What a funny man! I, I can play along. I love games. I nodded my head vigorously, the rain bouncing on the bridge of my nose. It's very simple. The man seemed to lean closer to me, waiting exhibitly for the information. I leaned closer to him and cupped my hand over his ear and whispered, You have to be a cannoning elf in order to wear it. Then pulled quickly away, slightly afraid that he would hit me. The man glared at me, so I started walking to the east. Okay, let's go! I knew that he was from the south if he worked with the Black King, but I wanted to see his reaction. I didn't really know if only the Cadine elves were able to weld the Eye of the Panther. I only knew that I, myself, was Cadine, and the other people around me have been unable to touch it. And of course, everyone knew that the Cadine elves were no more. I might even be the last. So it would make sense if I was the only one who could touch the amulet. 
I glanced behind me and noticed that the man got up too quickly and almost toppled over. His face wrenched in intense pain. He swayed on his feet, his form bent. I almost gave up on this game and went to help him, but he gained his balance before I did and bent down to grab his scarf, stuffing it in his uniform's pocket. He started coming after me, so I continued east, making sure to keep a pep in my step. That was not part of the deal, he growled at me when he caught up. I smiled to myself, knowing full well that it was part of the deal. I was to tell him how to use the amulet, and I did. Giving the amulet to him wasn't an option, so he owed it to me to keep his part of the deal. And if he won't adopt me, then I want someone in Orvin. Even if he doesn't like those people. I didn't even look at him as I continued my way down the forest trail. Yes, it was. He walked in front of me with his arms outstretched to get me to stop. You were supposed to give me the amulet. I stopped walking and looked at him, raising an eyebrow. Now, with the gray-white, I noticed that he had white and black hair. His eyes were a dark brown, and he had a slight point to his ears. Hmm. He seemed to act very much human, but I suppose he could be part elf. Maybe, if he wasn't so arrogant. Even still, he definitely was not a canine elf. I still have no idea why he would want my amulet. He doesn't seem like the type who would enjoy wearing it. But you're not a canteen elf. Why are you so interested in it anyway? Billy told me that only girls wore jewelry and you're a man. It's bad enough that me, a mere boy, is wearing it. He threw up his hands in the air of a frustrated growl. I don't care what Billy told you, and if you won't give me the amulet, then consider yourself adopted. My mouth lowered. Adopted? I looked at the ground, then back at him. Adopted? By you? Yes. My whips twisted upward so wide that I felt that my face would split into two. Whoopee! Without thinking, I ran over to him and wrapped my arms around his legs, nearly knocking him over, and rested my chin on his stomach, looking up at him with a wide, excited eyes. He glared down at me, but nothing could damper my mood. Thank you, father! He grabbed my arms and slipped them off of him. Don't call me that. I pouted a little. You can be a little mean, can't he? Then what should I call you? The man huffed and turned around, heading back east. I shrugged and went after him. I am officer for his darkness, the Black King. You can show some respect and call me Colonel. I hurried to his side. I've already guessed that he was a soldier, though it sounded so much cooler coming from his own mouth. You're a soldier? That's so cool! I bet you have been in grand battles. You must have the best stories to tell. The man didn't turn around, but raised a hand and a finger in a rebuking manner, and I lowered my long ears. War is not grand, and I don't have any stories to tell. Okay, I said. I kept up with his pace. I noticed that the man seemed to be limping, though the reason might have something to do with his shred pants. I'm Hunga Panna Jr., by the way. It's nice to meet you, Colonel. Hunga? He shook his head in disbelief, and heat rose in my face. What were your parents thinking of naming you that? 
I raise my head to look at him below my nose. What's wrong with the name Hunka? I always thought that was a wonderful name. How could he be so rude? Hunga is a name that was given from generation to generation. I am blessed to carry this name. The man crossed his arms against his chest. Well, I'm not calling you that. I don't care if it was your great-great-grandfather's name. He moved a branch out of his way and walked back to the chair that I was once tied to. I ran in front of him and he glared at me as though rudely asking me to get out of his way. I bounced aside, not really wanting to get the blunt of his wrath, but angry enough not to let the issue go. Then what will you call me? Hunga is my name! I pointed to myself desperately. He just had to get my name right. I don't want to be called anything else. My name besides my amulet are the only things I have left from my parents. I don't want to lose them. The rain made a pattering sound as it fell from the treetops above. I don't know. I guess I'll call you Junior until we get things settled. I pulled on my ears and stopped my foot. But Junior is not my name! To be continued. Tune in for a new episode every other week. Subscribe using your favorite podcast app or follow the blog at gracemmorris.wordpress.com where you can see the original artwork for each episode. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the adventure.